Letter seventeen of Clarissa Harlow, Volume three. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Larry Wilson. Clarissa Harlow, Volume three, by Samuel Richardson. Chapter seventeen. Mr. Lovelace to John Belford, Esquire, in continuation. And do I not see that I shall need nothing but patience in order to have all power with me? For what shall we say if all these complaints of a character wounded, these declarations of increasing regrets for meeting me, of resentments never to be got over for my seducing her away, these angry commands to leave her. What shall we say if all were to mean nothing but matrimony? And what if my forbearing to enter upon that subject come out to be the true cause of their petulance and uneasiness? I had once before played about the skirts of the irrevocable obligation, but thought myself obliged to speak in clouds and to run away from the subject as soon as she took my meaning lest she should imagine it to be ungenerously urged, now she was in some sort in my power, as she had forbid me beforehand to touch upon it, till I were in a state of visible reformation, until reconciliation with her friends were probable. But now, out-argued, out-talented, and pushed so vehemently to leave one of whom I had no good pretense to hold if she would go, and who could so easily, if I had given her cause to doubt, have thrown herself into other protection, or have returned to Harlow Place and Solmes. I spoke out upon the subject and offered reasons, although with infinite doubt and hesitation, lest she should be offended at me, Belford, why she should assent to the legal tie and make me the happiest of men. And oh, how the mantle-cheek, the town-cast eye, the silent yet trembling lip, and the heaving bosom, a sweet collection of heightened beauties, gave evidence that the tender was not mortally offensive. Charming creature, thought I, but I charge thee that thou let not any of the sex know my exultation. Is it so soon come to this? Am I already lord of the destiny of Clarissa Harlow? Am I already the reformed man thou resolvest I should be, before I had the least encouragement given me? Is it thus that the more thou knowest me, the less thou seest reason to approve of me? And can art and design enter into a breast so celestial? to banish me from thee, to insist so rigorously upon my absence in order to bring me closer to thee, and make the blessing dear. Well do the arts justify mine, and encourage me to let loose my plotting genius upon thee. But let me tell thee, charming maid, if thy wishes are at all to be answered, that thou hast yet to account to me for thy reluctance to go off with me, at a crisis when thy going off was necessary to avoid 
being forced into the nuptial fetters with a wretch, that were he not thy aversion, thou wert no more honest to thy own merit than to me. I am accustomed to be preferred, let me tell thee, by thy equals in rank, too, though thy inferiors in merit. But who is not so? And shall I marry a woman who has given me reason to doubt the preference she has for me? No, my dearest love, I have too sacred a regard for thy injunctions to let them be broken through, even by myself nor will I take in thy full meaning by blushing silence only. Nor shalt thou give me room to doubt whether it be necessity or love that inspires this condescending impulse. Upon these principles, what had I to do but to construe their silence into contemptuous displeasure? And I bade her pardon for making a motion which I had so much reason to fear would offend her, for the future I would pay a sacred regard to her previous injunctions, and prove to her by all my conduct the truth of that observation, that true love is always fearful of offending. And what could the lady say to this, methinks thou askest? Say? Why, she looked vexed, disconcerted, teased, was at a loss, I thought, whether to be more angry with herself or with me. She turned about, however, as to hide a starting tear, and drew a sigh into two or three, but just audible quavers, trying to suppress it, and withdrew, leaving me master of the field. Tell me not of politeness, tell me not of generosity, tell me not of compassion. Is she not a match for me, more than a match? Does she not outdo me at every fair weapon? Has she not made me doubt her love? Has she not taken officious pains to declare that she was not averse to Solmes for any respect she had to me? And her sorrow for putting herself out of his reach, that is to say, for meeting me. Then what a triumph would it be to the Harlow pride were I now to marry this lady, a family beneath my own, no one in it worthy of an alliance with but her. My own estate not contemptible, living within the bounds of it to avoid dependence upon their betters, and obliged to no man living. My expectation still is so much more considerable. My person, my talents, not to be despised, surely, yet rejected by them with scorn obliged to carry on an underhanded address to their daughter when two of the most considerable families in the kingdom have made overtures which i have declined partly for her sake and partly because i never will marry if she not be the person to be forced to steal her away not only from them but from herself and i must be brought to implore forgiveness and reconciliation from the Harlows? Beg to be acknowledged as the son of a gloomy tyrant, whose only boast is his riches, as a brother to a wretch who has conceived immortal hatred to me, and to a sister who was beneath my attempts, or I would have had her in my own way, and that with a tenth part of the trouble and pains that her sister has cost me, 
and finally as a nephew to uncles who value themselves upon their acquired fortunes would insult me as creeping to them on that account forbid it in the blood of the lovelaces that your last and let me say not the meanest of your stock should thus creep thus fawn thus lick the dust for a wife proceed anon End of letter 17